welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Step by step. Welcome to Album Nerds Podcast. We're uh, feeling very harmonious today. No one can see our synchronized choreography right now, but uh, it's 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 pretty awesome. We're hanging tough. So welcome. I am Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, buddy? Um, you know, just popping... Locking my usual way over here. Doing uh, the running man. Oh, yeah. So this comes natural to me. Nice. Don, are you about to do a heartfelt rap apologizing to the girl that you hurt? <laughs> well, I've uh, I've got the right stuff. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right. So, album nerds, we love talking about albums. Sometimes it's a little challenging listening to the albums. Uh, we're going to be talking about three of those today. going to answer a question talk about what we learned and then at the end of the show spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we'll be talking about next week but this time it's all about the boy bands it's gonna be me that's what i'm talking about well the term boy band was coined in the 1980s to identify vocal groups consisting of young male singers usually in their teenage years or in their 20s at the time of formation generally boy bands perform love songs marketed towards girls and young women and many boy bands dance as well as sing usually giving highly choreographed performances the group's image including their attire the promotional materials and music videos are often carefully cultivated and controlled uh, some point to the barbershop quartets of the late 19th century as the earliest oh. boy bands. Um, but since the 1960s, uh, many boy bands have conquered the U.S. and international charts. And today, each of us will present an album from a boy band. Don, something that you forgot was that often boy bands each have like types, like the cute one, right. the shy one. <laughs> right. the, uh, who's the cute yeah. album nerd? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What are, what are our roles? But I don't think, I'm not sure any of us are the cute one. <laughs> no, we left that one out. <laughs> I'm I'm the bald one, the mean one. <laughs> no, too many girls are fawning after the bald, mean one. <laughs> My wife's pretty into it. So, <laughs> listeners, albumnerds.com slash Discord. Tell us which one each of us is if we were in a boy band. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, I combed through all the typical stuff. I listened to a little bit of New Edition because they were kind of considered one of the early ones in, in, in the Boston area, and then came New Kids on the Block. So I listened to their album, uh, Hanging Tough, I think it was. Oh, yes. I listened to several NSYNC albums, 98 Degrees. I actually listened to Millennium by Backstreet Boys, which actually holds up pretty well. I think they kind of stuck right in the middle of pop. They weren't trying to do a lot of R&B, so it doesn't sound as dated as some of the other stuff does now. Hmm. And the first NSYNC album before the No Strings Attached was pretty pleasant too. A little more middle lane pop music. And uh, they did a cool version of Sailing by Christopher Cross, Ooh. which we talked about on our Yacht Rock. So I actually had some fun listening <laughs> to these things. Not I'd never listened to any of them in, in full before. So how'd you guys do? Yeah, you know, I by the end of the week, I was kind of digging this topic as well. It took me a while to get into the, the mindset of a teenage girl, but once I was there, I felt pretty uh -oh. natural. So. <laughs> Is this permanent? Uh, hopefully, I can come back at some point here. But I've always lately been curious about K-pop and just like what exactly that culture is about and some of the bands that are involved around it. So I took this opportunity to dig into that scene a little bit. One of the first things I found out is a lot of the K-pop 
popular groups are female groups, though. So it's only a handful of boy groups that are really huge. I listen to a lot of BTS, which is probably the most well-known K-pop group. Have you guys familiar with them? Have you ever heard their name before? Yes, and uh, I'm only familiar with any of their songs because... I play Fortnite with my nephews, and a lot of the em- em- emote things that the characters can do are BTS songs. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're, they're actually pretty enjoyable. I listened to a couple of their more recent records uh, with a group called Big Bang, which is popular more like in the 2010s, as well as like on, I, one of the first K-pop groups I could find was a group called Siotaji and the Boys, were popular like in the early 90s kind of like a throwback almost like new jack swing sound to them which mm. i found pretty interesting so we'll be talking about some more k-pop in a moment or two uh well i kind of i i looked uh, internationally as well uh first I, I spent some time with the uh, the english group uh, of course um take that <laughs> which was extremely popular internationally but never were like a big thing in the united states um of course that featured uh, robbie williams who also had you know, big international success uh, as a solo artist. Uh, so yeah, the the album "Everything Changes" was uh, was listenable. Uh, also looked at um, Menudo from uh, from Puerto mm. Rico. Oh wow! Uh, yes, I remember watching like Saturday morning cartoons, and all of a sudden they'd show like a Menudo video. Um, so I listened to a uh, an album called uh, Fuego, which I think means fire, uh, from nineteen eighty one. So what was weird about Menudo? I, I think they're still around. They rotated members yeah. once you aged out they'd bring new people in and i remember seeing menudo on an episode of silver spoons yep. That's oh right. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. of course ricky martin was a, a member i think in the mid 80s he went on to uh some fame of his own all right so let's see what we picked you choo choo choose me Kick things off here with the princes of K-pop, Shinee. We're talking about their fifth studio album from 2016, entitled One of One. We are going to play the lead single and title cut. This is One of One. All right, so a little bit of a retro kind of throwback sounds on this record for shine which i believe is how you say it not shiny the album cover confused me because it's their fifth album so the s is shaped like a five yes i thought it was five hiney <laughs> right that totally threw me off the <laughs> five hiney is a cool name too <laughs> there's five guys they all have hineys that's so, that is true know, that is true uh, yeah, interesting. They label all their records, like the fourth album, the fifth album, the sixth album. So they're all sequential. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's kind of like the Halos that uh, Trent Reznor used to do yeah. on the Nine Inch Nails albums. Halo 1, Halo 2. That's true. Um, yeah, so this is their fifth studio album. Their group was formed in 2008 by SM Entertainment, which is like a publishing organization in South Korea. They've since like gone on to become one of the more popular boy groups in that K-pop movement over the last couple decades here. This record I found pretty interesting because it really pulls a lot from like 90s hip-hop and R&B in terms of the production style and even some other singing. There's even like some moments that kind of sound like New Jack Swing. I think that, that track there has some elements of New Jack Swing into it, but also has kind of a modern vibe to it as well. Uh, my three words to describe this record are, once you K-pop, you can't stop. 
<laughs> uh oh. I definitely got into it. I was surprised by how much how catchy the stuff is, even not knowing Korean really at all. And uh but the beats undeniable and there's something just really uplifting and, and fun about this music. So I got, I was pretty into it by the end of the week. <laughs> One of the very telling things of listening to this album in the mix of English words, but it's mostly in Korean with the occasional English word or Korean words that kind of sound like certain English words, and that's what they make the title of the song uh, yeah. for American audiences. It made it clear that this kind of music can be as entertaining and fun to listen to whether or not you understand the words i almost found it as like an asset like i almost appreciated not understanding what was happening because yeah. then you can't cringe yeah it's so bad <laughs> anyway, it's like, you can't cringe at a terrible line seriously that's kind of nice yeah why don't we play another cut from the record this is a little bit of you need me Can that be our new uh, intro music? I like that. Yeah, I wish, man. It's really yeah. nice. I mean, that's one of the pluses of this particular record. I don't know about the rest of theirs, but they pull out all the stops on the production Productions and, all and over musicianship the place. stuff yeah. that, that they do. So Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, really sonically interesting. Uh, and in fact, the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album, producer's paintbrush. You know, I think for a lot of these boy bands, I think it's more about the producers than, than the artists themselves. So while while I'm sure the the performers have input, I, I do feel like the producers are, are kind of in control and they're sort of using the talents of the or manipulating the talents of the um, uh, of the performers to, to get what they want out of it. And I imagine it's probably quite fun as a producer because you are sort of limited to this pop music realm, you know, where you need everything to be catchy and appealing to your audience. But I think sometimes when you have those limitations, you can try to sort of push the boundaries. Uh, I don't I mean, I, on this album in particular, I think they really do a good job of, you know, just creating this, this sonic experience, you know, so it's more than just the catchy hooks, you know, they're just doing all sorts of, you know, interesting studio tricks and, and you know, playing around with melody and, and tempo. So I was, you know, really impressed, you know, from that, that standpoint. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Like, I feel like it's albums like maybe eight, nine tracks, in like 30 minutes, and they cover a lot of ground sonically in that time period from like R&B and funk and pop and some soul and there's like rap in there and let's see here. So the record itself is kind of like, I would say a 50-50 mix of ballads and dance tracks. There definitely are some slow burners where they get up close to the mic and confess their feelings, it seems. And, uh, but there's still plenty of, uh, of dancey, catchy tracks. Why don't you play one of the songs that kind of encapsulate both of those sounds and don't let me go. Yeah, so you got that sort of slow jam territory with the uh, with the rap interlude. I don't know what the words are exactly, but I'm guessing it's either a profession of love or an apology for hurting <laughs> her feelings. Yeah, it's about 99% chance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the three words I chose to describe the album are perfected personality packaging, where it's just perfect. Like the voices, the way that they each deliver, you can tell who they are in the group without having any clue who the dudes are. Yeah. They nailed the boy band thing on every level, the look, 
the voices, but yet it still seems sincere, which is hard to pull off the packaged yet sincere. Like it feels like they feel like whatever it is that they're singing. And uh, I appreciate the longevity and and their reverence for late 80s and 90s American counterparts, the boy band stuff, and, and sticking to some of those classic sounds with some updated uh, production. So, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's an interesting mix of like, definitely is elements of U.S. culture you can hear in this music rubbing off on there as an influence. But yeah, it's, it's still very, feels very Korean and very separate and in the other way. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition of, of cultures there and sounds. It's I'm pretty interesting. Well, it's, it's similar in some ways to when we discussed the city pop in Japan, where mm-hmm. they took American sounds and, and made them their own and, and did some cool production stuff and got some really good musicians together to replicate yet elevate the sound. And I think that's what is happening here, in, in at least for this group. I don't know about the rest for sure, but Andy, maybe that's... A, is that across the board? Did you find that American bass for the sound and then that there was a elevation throughout some of the records you were listening to? I think that seems fair. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert after a week by any means, but I definitely could feel the influence of bands like like Instinct and, and Backstreet and stuff like that in, in this music. Um, also, in their way they dance, uh, which is a big big part of the space is too like even the way the songs are constructed feels like it's very intentionally built in a way that could be choreographed uh, easily or kind of like you know give all these different members of the group kind of their own say in the song and kind of their own spotlight on the stage but the dance moves are very similar to things i remember in sync and backstreet doing back in the day yeah and they're very fashion forward guys as well they'll have very unique looks and uh kind of i don't know what saying culturally but they all have very distinct personalities in the way they dress which i even as an outsider could kind of pick up on that after a few days of watching them oh yeah pretty cool just like the wiggles yeah (laughs) well they have the well the wiggles are easy to 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 see the difference because of the color of their turtleneck um (laughs) yeah they're not quite that yeah clean yeah like you know, NSYNC and Backstreet, NSYNC in particular, they had, you know, the one dude with the fountain head beaded hair, like pulled in a top knot, looked like a fountain coming out of his head, uh, <laughs> yeah. Chris something. And in uh, Backstreet Boys, the one that like had frosted tips and was dangerous because he had a piercing and a tattoo, you know, right. like they, yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole sort of thing. AJ, I think. So yeah, this was, this was fun to listen to. It, it was a little bit of the same with a little bit of the different. And I appreciated a different um, perspective on what I've often thought of as a completely vapid. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Me too. Whatever you want to like part of pop music. You know, I, I know there's K-pop is pretty big in the U S but I think there's definitely some interesting things going on in the space and it feels pretty fresh and new. Those things are, you know, kind of rolling off the uh, K-pop production line here. There's lots of stuff going on there. So definitely worth checking out. I think they're a good, a good band to get into if you're not super deep into it already because there's definitely you know elements of, of american culture in their music that i think are relatable and pretty interesting so if you haven't heard shine other album uh, is one of one and they have all they just put out a new record just earlier this year and they're doing all sorts of interesting stuff so check them out step by step i'm good enough i'm smart enough and doggone it people like me if you're enjoying the show and we know you are do us a solid and leave a review on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app you can do it on spotify now maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us 
Oh, Nick Jonas is so cute. <laughs> okay, so my choice uh, for a boy band album uh, was a, uh, an album called The Album by uh, Jonas Brothers. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> actually was just uh, released last month uh, here in, in 2023. Let's hear uh, the second cut on the album. This is Montana Sky. So despite this uh, kind of modern and, and polished sound, uh, the album does kind of flirt with, with Americana. Uh, in fact, there's literally a song called uh, uh, Americana. Um, so they are, you know, kind of, you know, going around the, the different eras and, and borrowing, you know, from different genres. Uh, but uh, I would say overall, they mainly go to sort of like a 70s funk and R&B sound. So this is the, the sixth studio album by the American pop band Jonas Brothers. And they are, in fact, brothers Kevin, Joe, and Nick. And that's in order of oldest to youngest. Um, they were formed in 2005 in Wyckoff, New Jersey. Um, they rose to prominence you know, pretty quickly thanks to the, the Disney Channel. You know, hugely successful band. They broke up in, in 2013, uh, but they returned in 2019 with their hugely successful album, uh, Happiness Begins. And so this is the, the, the follow up to that. So the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album were wholesome maroon five. So, you know, I kept finding myself, you know, as I, as I'm uh, listening, I'm like, Oh, this could be a maroon five. I can picture Adam Levine singing this, but, uh, okay. But then you're saying that somehow <laughs> maroon five is dangerous and not wholesome. Well, if, they are totally vanilla. It does have tattoos. I mean, I don't know. No, I think Adam Levine sort of like Prince. I feel like he's always singing with an erection. I think like all the songs are uh, about sex and, you know, getting with, oh, you know, with you and stuff. Uh, I guess not that's to true. Get too far <laughs> off track. I saw Maroon Five opening for the Counting Crows a few years back. Oh wow! But Adam Levine was wearing some kind of high-heeled boots oh. and had his shirt off, and I was pretty far away, so he was strutting around very Prince-like. So I see what you're saying. Though. So all right, back you to couldn't the, tell if it was a cod piece or a. All right, go ahead. All right. <laughs> okay, well let's uh, let's let's hear some more. Here's Waffle House. Mm, waffles. Yeah, so uh, Waffle House kind of has a late 80s feel to me. You know, could have been a hit then. Sort of, this song was like an upbeat way of representing family, major theme of, of their lives right now. They're all like in their 30s and having their starting their families. Sounds like I imagined them sounding because I'd never heard them before, uh, but with a grown-up vibe. and uh, But the, the vocals are a little processed. Yeah, in fact, that was... Um, so I do have some Jonas uh, Brothers fans in my household, and that's their complaint about this newest album is that there's just so much processing uh, on, the, on the vocals. And, you know, supposedly... I mean, their voices have improved dramatically over the years. You know, they've really worked on it, and um, yet they're kind of burying them, you know, behind, you know, the, this uh, electronic gadgetry. Yeah, I noticed it a lot. Like, there'd be songs where they're sounding good, and then all of a sudden it sounds very, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. The three words I used to describe this album bros gone mild like <laughs> I, I don't know much about them, but it seemed like back in their heyday, Disney was 
framing them as like rockers somehow because yeah. they were like on the Disney Channel or something. And <laughs> Disney's version of that. Okay. Right, right. You know, there are a lot of ingredients in this album, but they're all very mild. There's no spice. Like everything is kind of muted. I really liked how it started off. The first four tracks are fairly enjoyable. Poppy with some Bruno Marsy touches. Mm-hmm. R&B and funk. Uh, then they sort of sink back into adult contemporary pop and Americana starts to <laughs> celebrate is just corny tonight we party like vegas oh that's really a, oh man it's like one of those wedding songs or something and the vocals sound extra processed on that one uh, but i like the horns there's some like the musically throughout it's pretty interesting an acoustic track or two would have been nice something a little more real sounding and then that summer in the hamptons just destroyed the record for me <laughs> i'm deep inside your sand different kind of warmness my heart inside your hands a thousand wild horses sex like summer in the hamptons uh, thanks for reading the lyrics that was good so summer in the hamptons is so so such an enjoyable thing for for the uh one percenters there yeah right. thanks for marginalizing me jonas brothers <laughs> And then that's what you're comparing the sex to? Lame. I mean, this wasn't terrible overall. Just got a little corny for the the, last two-thirds of the record. I enjoyed more of it than I thought I would, to be honest. So, you know, it's inoffensive for the most part. It's poppy. I'm sure people could play it in the background at summertime picnics and have a great time. Yeah, one thing I'll say for the the Jonas Brothers, even, you know, since early on, they've always gotten, you know, song songwriting credits for for most of their songs, not all of them. Um but even on this album, you know, all all three brothers are are credited, but then there's always 10 other names. And actually it was similar with the with the K-pop album. I mean, there's like 15 producers <laughs> on the album. Huge list yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're probably like uh, they're probably like, uh, can we put a comma there? And they're like, all right, nice. Thank you, Mr. Jonas. <laughs> yeah, gonna, you get a writing credit. I do wonder about that because like Taylor Swift has like the same thing. She gets credited for being a songwriter, but there's always multiple people on her tracks as well. So Okay, well, let's uh, let's hear another one. This is Miracle. Best song on the album, and I was very hopeful when I heard at the top of the album. Yeah, I was coming in after, after out of my K-pop high here. I heard that song, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh man, this is gonna be awesome! I'm gonna be totally into yes. this. <laughs> I'm gonna love this." That's, that's what sounds like very Bruno Mars to me. He was kind of into that sort of funky vibe on that track. And yeah, I, I'm kind of I'm bored with the dude there. It goes off the rails pretty quickly for me after that. But there are good things that happen on this record. That Not a lot, but there's a handful of things I enjoyed. I think songs like Wings and Sail Away, kind of in the first half of the record there, they're really pretty interesting musically what's going on there. I found fairly compelling. I just felt like vocally they just really didn't have enough oomph behind them to really sell like the drama that they're trying to push on those songs. Um, and it could be sort of the processing of the vocals, like you guys mentioned, could be contributing to that or... It just didn't sound very alive to me. The whole record sounds so sleek, sleek and polished and all the edges are smoothed away completely. Like Summer in the Hamptons? Yeah, right. I'm going to use that from now on to compare anything to. <laughs> I'm going to be like, this sandwich is like Summer in the Hamptons. Well, that, that song I think really stuck out as being, yeah, a little little cringy. That part of the record is fairly interesting. There's this whole like vacation summer vibe on the B side here, which I could kind of get into. Maybe acoustic track would be a good idea on there. 
um, to give that laid back vibe more of a realness. I wondered if Sail Away was uh, an uh, ode to Anya. Yeah, yeah Orinoco <laughs> Flow. Sail Away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and the closer, the, cl- the closing two tracks, Little Bird and Walls, don't feel like part of this record at all to me. They found they seem very dramatic and serious, and almost like they were just like tagged on as like a cool live cut that we could play you know at our shows as a closing track i kind of like that song walls especially i thought was kind of a good closer um yeah i had that um is it john bellion john bellion or something um yeah yeah, who is that yeah he's written a bunch of like pop songs for like maroon five and even like eminem and stuff i apparently he has a hit is it like all time low or or something i'm not familiar with him but i I think that's his voice on there and he co-wrote uh that song and and a a few others on the album yeah he sounds good on the track and i think it i don't know add a little urgency and a little drama to what's going on here which i think was sorely needed at least for me by that point in the record my three words describe this record are TikTok pop. I think these songs work great, like in the background on someone's like 30 second video. And that's probably <laughs> as about as much as we'll get out of this, I think. But uh, it's not bad. Could be definitely be worse. I was informed that this was the wrong Jonas Brothers album to do and that I should have done the previous <laughs> album, Happiness Begins. Um, you guys are probably familiar with tracks from that, the, that Sucker For You song. I'm a sucker for you. I didn't know they were still recording oh, at yeah. all. I thought they were done in like 2010 or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so that was the album from uh, the Jonas Brothers. But could they change the name to an album? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. It's the time of the show where we ask ourselves uh, a question. So, boy bands are kind of known as fashion trendsetters. What fashion statements did you make while you were growing up? Oh boy, that's one of those loaded questions. (laughs) Yeah, I had the pleasure of growing up in the 80s. If you were alive in the 80s, you know that fluorescent colors were like super, super hot, super big at the time, along with like a lot of like synthetic fabrics. So I had some like, I think you called it like day glow is what you would call it back in the 80s, like bright fucking pink construction worker, like stay away from me (laughs) shorts that were like way too short for a young boy to be wearing. <laughs> well, he did better than me because when I was little, it was the the uh, like jogging shorts that were literally like you had to wear a jock strap even at age eight <laughs> for stuff not to fall out. You know what I mean? Yeah, things are very loose back then. There wasn't a lot of, of structure and clothing. <laughs> so yeah, I had those, and I had these uh, like bright green. I wore glasses all the time back then like glasses holders that I thought was cool that one like would keep my glasses from falling oh, off yeah. my face nice hell yeah I don't know <laughs> like like pretty much Urkel style but like fluorescent green uh, nice so I don't know what I was what I was thinking but I was clearly not in a boy band <laughs> well you could have been sounds like how about uh how about you guys so for me um there's a lot mullets you had a mullet <laughs> yes popped collars I mean there's a lot of a lot of mistakes that were made. But when I was a little younger, like middle school age, I was into break dancing and stuff, and I didn't really have the funds or the access in the uh, middle of the Midwest to get cool street gear. So I did have a pair of like pleather parachute pants that I found at a 
discount store. Wow. But me and my friends would walk around all geared up with headbands tied around when we went to see Break Two Electric Boogaloo at the theater. <laughs> but I didn't. I wanted the fingerless leather glove things, so I yeah. didn't have that. So I took a pair of black socks, cut off the toe, and cut finger holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> <laughs> I was walking around with like bandanas around my legs and stuff at a movie premiere with sock toes on my hands, trying to pull off like I had cool, you know, leather gloves or something. Why didn't you just use gloves instead of socks? I didn't have. I didn't have any the work gloves. You I mean, cut. no. But I did. I did used to use my mom's old white dress gloves, glue sparkles on it, and pretend it was a Michael Jackson glove, and go to school wearing it. <laughs> oh, wow, man! What a lot of mistakes were made. Um, you know, the sunglasses that look like Venetian blinds, all oh, that stuff. Yeah. Those are cool. <laughs> what about you, Don? <laughs> well, you know, my uh, mother played a large role in dressing me, I think, for, for much of my, my young life. And I just kind of went with it. You know, I didn't rebel against it. So as I got into middle school, I guess I always just kind of had what, what would have been called like a preppy look. And I feel like every day of middle school, I wore like a sweater with a turtleneck under it. Uh, you're not alone, man. Yeah, I can't like, remember the last time I wore a turtleneck, but um, a sweater and a turtleneck. Oh yeah, don't yeah. usually wear one or the other. No, not man, then. not then. <laughs> Round about eighty-eight. I back in my mullet days, same thing. I would, I had like different colored turtlenecks that would go with my different pattern sweaters. And <laughs> man, it sounds very hot. It was, but I mean, I had the the cool haircut with the shaved up sides and the <laughs> that's right, the spiky top and cool on the sides and party hot in, in the, the back. back. Yeah. And I didn't have the chest back then to wear a turtleneck on its own, you know, because they always sort of <laughs> frame your chest in such a way that <laughs> it's not flattering if you have any kind of, if you're a little soft there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, <laughs> we should just use dickies, man. Yeah. Right. What's a, a dickie? Yeah, dickie is like the turtleneck top and it just comes down around your chest. So there's no shirt. Yeah. It just, you put it on oh, the like sweater or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell uh, Cousin Eddie's wearing that in Christmas vacation under his sweater. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, what, uh, what trends did you, uh, <laughs> did you partake in, uh, growing up? Let us know. Hit us up on the socials and on Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. So I am going with a somewhat controversial pick. I've I've had conversations with people that disagree with me on this that uh, the monkeys are a boy band. Hmm. What's the argument I, against? I mean, I don't even. Well, that they were a that they were a band that they didn't like have dance choreography and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. They played instruments, but they were formed. They were cast. They did not yeah. know each other. They did not have any connection. They had songs written for them that they were to sing and uh, be like the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a formulaic Beatles, to me, is a boy band. Jump right into it. We're talking about the album The Birds and the Bees and the Monkeys, their fifth album, released in 1968. And God, they released a lot of albums in a short period. We're going to play the probably most beloved track from this album, Daydream Believer. But how much, baby, do you Probably my favorite monkey song, to be honest. 
and part of the reason I picked this album. Now that that song was actually recorded with all of the members of the Monkees. Uh, that's Davy Jones, Peter Tork, Mike Nesmith, and Mickey Dolenz. And uh, it's the only song in the album that actually has all of them on it. They recorded it for the previous album, Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited from 1967. But they held it back and it got put on this album. Uh, the weird part about this is Peter Tork had announced he was leaving their show had been canceled their movie that they put out head that was supposed to be a psychedelic trip man bombed they started to write music and play real instruments a couple of them already played guitar but davy jones played a mean tambourine and mickey dolan's learned to play drums because they wanted to really perform and be real musicians once they had all the adulation and get respect so that's a lot to try and do in a short period of time and this album they went off in their own camps and brought recorded songs that they did with studio musicians and that's why i think it's so interesting it was they had all come to their creative peak but they weren't truly a band and uh, that's why I, I found this album to be so fascinating the three words that i used to describe it the monkeys escape the zoo <laughs> They, you know, had, nice. there had been a lot of control in that short period of time. And this was, I think, their third album where they had some creative input. This was all them. And um, I really enjoyed it, as weird as it is. Uh, there's some great tracks that, especially the the Mickey Dolan's tracks. Um, I really enjoyed Zor and Zam, an anti-war song at the end. Um, P.O. Box 9847, a psychedelic sort of song about what personal ads, Match.com of the day, where you'd put an ad <laughs> in the newspaper and have someone send a letter to you at a P.O. Box. And just the way that they desc he's describing himself for the, for the profile, it's just, it was fun. Um, so why don't we uh, jump into one of another hit track, but a little... Uh, this one's a little less on the nose for them. It's a little more adventurous. This one's called Valerie. But she sure looks different than the way she looked before. Yeah, I always like that track. I think Valerie and Daydream Believer really stand out on this record to me. It's kind of sounding a little bit more like how they said it on those first couple of records, where they're a little bit more of like a group, a little bit less of the kind of like a collection of solo projects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my three words to describe this record are they're using tools because they learn how to play instruments. Oh, because uh, they're monkeys. And they're they're monkeys. monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. I thought it was funnier. But I, I thought it's good. Yeah, I grew up a monkeys fan, actually. They're probably the first real band I got into as like a young lad. And hmm. I think it was because they had this great kind of package persona where you could kind of like, there's a TV show and there's a movie and there's like toys and buttons and stickers and stuff. And I was like, yes, I love all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, VH1, 1986, they started airing those episodes, those three seasons. Nickelodeon too, I think they were on. Yeah, and it really reignited. The, the monkeys got back together because of that, you know? And again, like we talked about with the Jonas Brothers, that sort of the nostalgia factor. So the kids that loved you come back as adults to go see you, and then their kids are interested because they yeah, see the show. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. But this record is pretty interesting, man. It was not what I thought you were going to pick when you were talking about the monkeys. Uh, I had not heard this one. It's a pretty eclectic 
interesting album. I don't know if it's exactly a home run, but there's a lot of interesting ideas going on here. Yeah, you can hear a lot of like the Eastern influence, like the you know the Beatles were introducing a lot of sound to the music a little bit at this time too. The sort of psychedelic um, thing going on in the music as well. It's cool. It works on tracks on some of the tracks here. I think that P.O. Box track you mentioned and Zoran Zam, I think are pretty good. Anti's Municipal Court, the second track. Sounds a lot like Captain Beefheart to me, which I was shocking that the monkeys would <laughs> kind of go into that territory. Nesmith does some pretty kooky stuff. I guess he had a fairly successful solo career after this, unlike the other guys. Yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting ideas. I don't know if it works too well as like a monkeys record, but it's cool in its kind of own regard. I think that was it. Like the the first couple of monkeys records were boring. Like yes, they had a couple of hits that I enjoyed, like. There's some great songs that are really, you know, written by Carol King and 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 uh, Neil Diamond and you know all these luminaries of songwriting at the time. So there's some really good songs, but this one was weird. Mm-hmm. It was it was weird. I don't know if this will be what they're remembered for, but definitely a little interesting nugget of, of history for sure. All right, so why don't we continue on and listen to a little bit of writing wrongs. could have been a song by the band or something you know yeah so that's uh that's one of the kind of psychedelic moments uh, and that's provided by uh, michael nesmith there's a really sort of long noisy instrumental section in the middle that's that's kind of free form the the three words i chose for the album you guys already uh, alluded to to this but um i said unleash the nesmith because I really think it's it's his tracks that that stand out for me. I mean, other than obviously "Daydream Believer" is just you know a, sure. an amazing hit song. But uh, you know, I found myself drawn to um, well, the, well, this song. Andy already mentioned Annie's Municipal Court. There's Tapioca Tundra, which is a great name yeah. for a song. Yeah, um, there's also awesome. that weird sort of westerny lo-fi um, Magnolia Sims song. And so, I mean. Um, Nesmith has, I think, credit for or songwriting credits for four of the songs. I think he's the only. I think Davy Jones co-wrote maybe two of the songs. But yeah, it seems like he's somebody that's just on the brink of really finding himself creatively, and he's expressing himself uh, a bit here. Now, he was an established musician before the Monkees casting, as was Peter Tork. Uh, the other two, Davy and Mickey, were actors primarily. So it's not surprising that Peter Tork got frustrated and left because he was like a folk rock guy and Nesmith uh, has the most creative stuff. But Dolan's really developed quickly as far as being an interesting musician. Yeah, do you know Nesmith wrote that or co-wrote that different drum song? You know that Linda Ronstadt mm. song? There she is again, Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> and I think his mom invented uh, Liquid Paper. Whiteout. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just joking. Okay. I, I, the album, um, you know, I mentioned the, the low fidelity or lo-fi or whatever. It actually, it reminded me of a, an album that came out around the same time. Uh, the Beach Boys' Smiley Smile. That had that really low fidelity uh, approach, which I kind of hear a lot uh, on this album. I'm also reminded of Odyssey and Oracle, which was the uh, the album by the, the Zombies, which we, we did uh, several months ago. This was more commercially successful than that album, but I don't think it's as artistically good as, as that one. Well, I, I think it's because 
because of the non-unity. Yeah. Like there is some disjointedness because of the separation of powers here. Yeah. And I don't think Peter Tork, except for on Daydream Believer, which they recorded previously, I don't see him anywhere no. on this record. I don't think he did anything. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I really admire the band for, for doing this, you know, I mean, because they could have just easily, you know, gone along with what was, you know, what was happening, have other people writing songs for them that are these, you know, catchy pop tunes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but they, they pushed it and did their, their, their own thing. So I, I definitely admire that. Let's say white album light, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I really did dig that. And it was, it's fun to see a, a boy band, a, a manufactured group go ahead and, and innovate and find their own voices, much like, you know, with a lot of the boy bands like NSYNC, off goes Justin Timberlake and does some really interesting artistic R&B stuff that breaks the barriers and does things differently. So yeah. these guys in these bands can't be discounted just because it might be a manufactured collection. There's still a lot of talent in, in those groups. So that was The Monkees, The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkees from 1968. Go check it out. Do you think Davy Jones had a locker in his yes. dressing room? He, I think he slept in it. <laughs> Because he's so tiny. Because <laughs> he's short. <laughs> he's, yes. It's because he's a little man. <laughs> okay. Well, I suspect this was maybe a sort of a, a challenging experience uh, for us, um, but it seems like we all kind of enjoyed ourselves. Uh, what did you learn this week? I mean, kind of what I said in the last segment, a little bit about the creativity and the development of some of these people. They're talented singers, sometimes musicians, sometimes develop into talented songwriters and discounting them because of the boy band thing. Also, I think there's, uh, it's just pop music, the boy bands, the NSYNCs and all of that, pop music of the time. And I think there's a lot of backlash because of jealousy, because men don't like it when women give attention <laughs> to other guys. Regard- like, I think there's so much anger and hate about it. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm not into New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. It'd be they're in suck. There, there had to be <laughs> anger behind it, and I think it's it's a jealousy of young men having success and adulation, and you don't. Mm-hmm. I really do think there's a gut reaction that that uh, hmm. at least mm-hmm. males in America have where they hate it, even though it's just pop music, but they hate it like I, I deeply. Think, I think part of that might be something that K-pop is kind of leaning into a little bit more, which is bringing out sort of the less masculine side of, of a boy group, yeah. maybe making them a little more feminized, a little more emotional. Um, so I think, I mean, that's in the, obviously in the US boy groups as well. Um, I think girls love that. I mean, an emotional cute boy is like a dream, you know, like that's that's what you want. Wow. You should see the look on Andy's face right now. He's glowing right now <laughs> talking about this. No, I think that's kind of the secret sauce of the boy group is uh, hitting those emotional notes, but still also being a good dancer and a, and, uh, a good looking guy. Sounds like the three of us. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I think it's cool. I, I, I really did kind of enjoy, to my surprise, a lot of these records were, were pretty fun to listen to. Yeah, I think I convinced myself to, you know, just focus less on the group, but focus on all the people involved in, in making the these albums. Right. You know, so it's not the three Jonas Brothers, it's the Jonas Brothers and 15 other people that are making decisions <laughs> right. in the studio, um, you know, to, you know, to, to make these, you know, kind of perfectly constructed pop songs and yeah, I mean, it's still, it's, it's still art, you know, I mean, it's meant for popular consumption, but it's, uh, you know, there's some expression going on. There's, there's creativity and hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
No, yeah, I think these guys, they really live their professions. Like, they're, if they're not learning new songs or learning new dances or they're out yeah. promoting their shit, like, it's a, it's a lifestyle you gotta really commit to. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. boys and girls it's time once again to gather around the wheel of musical destiny here and see what fate has in store for us next week wad bots back all right <laughs> it is time to make devil horns with your hands as your musical destiny is to explore albums by artists that were featured on mtv's headbangers ball Try not to hurt yourselves with all that headbanging. Headbangers ball. Wow. It's like a 180. All right, cool. The wheel has definitely uh, shaken things up because <laughs> this is very different. Okay, uh, quick reminder, don't forget to cast your votes for two albums that are on the Album Nerds Hall of Fame fence. T-Rex's Electric Warrior and Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Go to albumnerds.com or albumnerds.com slash discord to cast your votes. Please do vote yay or nay. Okay, who's your favorite boy band? Did you watch Headbangers Ball? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at albumnerds. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds Podcast. We enjoyed having you. Bye, bye, bye. We'll talk to you next week about some headbangers ball thanks for listening everybody see ya you are my fire my one <laughs> how long should I go <laughs> uh, you're done do you even say goodbye anymore or do you just try and showcase your voice <laughs> on the end of every show looking up branch out it's like an audition for dance I'm the Nesmith of the show <laughs> Nesmith of the show